This is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I am your guest host, Kimberly Winston. This week, we are listening to a special documentary from the Spiritual Edge podcast, Becoming Muslim. Let's get back to the story with host and reporter, Hana Baba. On the last story for this hour, we're going to explore a clash that can sometimes happen between faith and culture. For women, there's a lot to think about after they become Muslim, wearing the hijab if they choose to, dealing with expectations of marriage if they're single, do they marry another convert, or someone who grew up in the faith. I can tell you a lot of pressure comes with being a Muslim woman. You have to think about your identity, all the stereotypical images of Muslims, and especially Muslim women. Islam was probably the last religion I would have ever seen myself as converting to. You know, having this image of these women who were who were so oppressed and covered up. Sophie Laverne is a stand-up comedian from Oakland, California. She's 45, wears a hijab, and has these round pink cheeks that turn red whenever she's giggling. And she laughs a lot. She's constantly cracking jokes about her life and all the parts that make up who she is. I'm actually um, half Hispanic, well, half Mexican, half white, and 100% Muslim. And uh, thank you. (laughs) And uh, it does cause a little cultural confusion from time to time. What do I do (laughs) when I get excited? Is it like, golly gee. (laughs) This comedy club called Copper Spoon is where Sophie comes every Tuesday night. Um, It feels like home. It feels like home. And it's so warm, you know, and literally warm. It's always warm. (laughs) There's not a lot of Muslim stand-up comedians. I mean, they're, they're out there. But most of them joke about just regular people stuff, I've noticed. Like, it would be like a guy named Muhammad, but he's talking about that time he was so high on cocaine and he was in San Francisco and blah, 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 you know. But then I get up there and make jokes about being a Muslim comedian. And she's had plenty of material to work with in a post-9-11 America. Like I say, I can't I can't ever bomb on stage. Because <laughs> I'm one bad joke I'm t- from Guantanamo. I'm one bad joke from Guantanamo, I'm telling you right now. At least, at least I know the lyrics to Guantanamera in Spanish, so... <laughs> when she first became Muslim in 1996, Sophie was living hard times. But she had this curiosity about life, about faith. Converting to Islam felt like a new beginning. But sometimes what comes after conversion is more complicated and unexpected. And in Sophie's case, it would end up testing her new faith. Sophie grew up in Southern California. Her family was Catholic, not too religious, but her family life was unstable. Her dad left when she was 18. She and her mom struggled to make ends meet. She had to drop out of college to make money. Things got so bad, she became homeless. She left L.A. and moved north to stay with family in the Bay Area. And it was a cousin who got her interested in Islam. She hung out with her a lot. They were both questioning the Christianity they grew up with. They talked about God, and they both started researching other religions. I got a used Quran, and I got a used biography of the Prophet Muhammad, and like all the stuff I bought was used. And um, so I went and started reading up and realized, oh, wow, this is exactly what, what I think. 
As Sophie read more and more, she says things started to fall into place. If it makes sense, if it's logical, then I can accept it. You know what I mean? Even if it was completely new and foreign to me. As she contemplated Islam internally, things on the outside weren't going so well. Sophie got pregnant, and things were rocky with her boyfriend. My son's father left me, and he ran back to Mexico, because I didn't know how I was going to tell him that I was planning on becoming Muslim, and then he left, and so he made that part easy, because he took off on me. Now Sophie was on her own, pregnant and going to school. Her life was hard, and it was busy. And that internal spiritual search was happening at the same time. Then her cousin, the one who was studying religions with her, she got to the point where she was converting to Islam. So I went to her ceremony. I actually was was pretty pretty ready to be Muslim, but I waited because, like I said, I was reading the biography of the Prophet's life. Uh, I wanted to finish that and because I don't jump into things. I felt like it was a very serious decision. Sophie did more reading and sat with herself a lot. Then she decided. Sophie went to the mosque where her cousin had converted, and surrounded by the congregation, she gave her shahada, the testimony of faith that makes you a Muslim. Nothing had prepared her for how intense that moment would be. She still feels it today. So I'm a little emotional. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I felt like I had... Uh, kind of messed up up to that point. She thought about her unborn son, about his dad, her financial struggles, her whole life. So, you know, they say that when you convert and you take your your shahada, that all your sins are forgiven. Take your time. Take your time. And, And if I could tell you that in that moment, you can feel it. You can feel it happen. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, like, um, it's like being washed or something, but not with water, but with light. And I got hugs from all the ladies, and they all welcomed me into Islam, you know, and uh, and it was it was a beautiful moment. Like I said, I had seen my cousin go through it, and, and it was beautiful for her as well. Sophie admired her cousin's experience. She wanted that for herself. But her cousin had also gone through something else right after she converted. She ended up getting married right away. Uh, she married another convert. Sophie wanted to get married, too. And in her new mosque community, that was expected. So within a few weeks of becoming Muslim, Sophie says the imam told her since she was single and pregnant, she should get married and that he would help her find a husband. Sophie went along with it. She had a baby son on the way, and marriage didn't sound like a bad idea. The imam was from Morocco, and he'd regularly make trips home. And on one trip... When he had gone to Morocco, apparently, uh, he had brought back um, some photos and, and little bios for guys that he wanted to find wives for. And there were several choices, I guess. The 
imam recommended a man from his old neighborhood in Morocco. He spoke Spanish. Sophie did too. So they started corresponding, and very quickly, the man made an offer: "Come to Morocco and visit, and if you, you know, if you like me, then we'll get married." Is kind of what his offer was, and that seemed okay. Uh, and I didn't have anyone warning me not to do it, and it just seemed. It seemed like a great opportunity. I could go there and learn about Islam and learn how to speak Arabic and maybe find, a, you know, a nice romantic relationship with someone who, you know, we support each other and, and you know, uh, that was not really <laughs> the reality. Sophie admits that at the time she was starry-eyed and maybe naive. She continued corresponding with the man in Morocco and she traveled there with her eight weeks old son. I mean, I went over there, and uh, you know, like the day after I got there, he's like, you know, well, I, you know, I love you, and I want to marry you. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, it just seemed really good. Everything seemed good. But soon things were far from good. They got married, but Morocco was a total culture shock, and Sophie started to struggle. You're moving into an environment where you don't speak the language. Uh, they have completely different culture. Um, we had squat toilets only, so I had to learn how to use a squat toilet. Uh, <laughs> and because I speak Spanish, and my ex-husband, he spoke French, Spanish, and Arabic, so he learned English, I learned Arabic. <laughs> and we used Spanish until we learned enough of each other's languages to communicate a little bit better, and there were a few misunderstandings along the way. Sophie says she tried to get used to the culture, the people, the mannerisms, because she thought she was in Morocco for the long haul, that this was going to be her new home. But within three weeks, he was pushing me to come back here. Her husband wanted them to live in the U.S. Uh, we, we did go try to get him a visa, and we went to the American consulate, and we were denied. And then we found out later that I could come here and apply. So once, once he figured that out, yeah, he sent me back here. Sophie came back to the U.S. and filed for permanent residency for her husband. He joined her nine months later, but she says it soon became an unhappy marriage. She says her husband would say things like, Women aren't supposed to talk. They're supposed to cook and clean and never sit down. You know, um, he was very threatened if I was resting. <laughs> you know, he didn't even like me to sit and like uh, crochet. I like to make things. So crochet blankets or and he said that was being lazy. And there was another big thing. And it had to do with a core part of who she was. She loved comedy. She cracked jokes wherever she went. She's a big laugher, finding humor all around her. And she says her husband just didn't get any of it. He had no sense of humor, you know. And one day I asked him, I said, you know, how long was the surgery? He said, what surgery? I said, you know, the one where they removed your sense of humor, you know, but he didn't laugh. He, he never laughed. <laughs> and comedy, it was a big part of what she wanted to do with her life. She says he discouraged her from pursuing it at all. It was torture. It was torture living with someone who didn't get any of my jokes, didn't laugh at any of my jokes. He was always like, the Moroccan ladies don't do that. Okay, well, then marry a Moroccan. I don't know what to tell you. You didn't marry a Moroccan lady. I'm not going to behave like one, whatever that means. He spent 10 years telling me who to be, but he never found out who I was. Why, why are you so dead set on changing me as a human? You know? <laughs> Sophie eventually filed for divorce. I didn't interview Sophie's ex-husband, but I did track down the imam who connected Sophie with her husband all those years ago, Yasser Chadli. 
He confirms many of the details of the story, including that he introduced her to her ex-husband in the first place. He didn't have any bad things like drugs or drunk or, or something. And then he wanted to raise this boy as a, as a father to him. That was my essential connection that I wished for her. That was it. He says his intention was to help Sophie. He hasn't had much contact with her since the wedding 25 years ago, but he did hear about her struggles with her husband and her husband's behavior towards her and her divorce. I felt bad about it because that was not my uh, my wish that this would happen. Of course, when you need people to be together, you wish for them the best thing. And so... And now, he says, he wishes he'd been more present. I never sat with her to ask her, how is this man? How is he uh, treating you? And I, I never sat between them and continued uh, to to groom them to become good. I just uh, expected they, they will do good to each other. Yeah. And thinking back, Chadley suspects that maybe the man he thought was such a good match for Sophie really just wanted to marry her so he could come to the U.S. Over the years, Chadley has seen a lot. And he says he's changed his mind altogether about these kinds of marriages. I think most of it doesn't work. 99% I would say it doesn't work. It's very difficult. It certainly didn't work for Sophie. She ended up alone with three children, cut off from her mosque community, and starting to question why she chose Islam in the first place. I just had to come full circle again and remember why I converted and remember that it had nothing to do with Moroccan culture. It had nothing to do with him and his misogyny. But I had to stop and separate myself from that cultural bullcrap and what the religion says, because a lot of it is absolutely in contradi- you know, in contradiction to what the religion says. Sophie needed to heal, and she says, to rediscover herself. Yeah, there was there was a time though, right before I left him, that that I think I had almost given up. I was I was kind of a shell of who I of myself, you know. But what I found is after I left, it was like a rubber band that had been stretched. It just went right back. You know what I mean? It just snapped right back. Rediscovery for Sophie meant getting back to who she was, and a big part of that was humor and comedy. One time, this guy, you know, I don't want to call him a racist, came up to me. He's like, "Hey, you." Go back to your country. And I was like, okay, I'm here. I have a weird brain. I have this sort of constant stream of hilarity running through my brain. I'm never bored. I'm rarely lonely. And my brain keeps me entertained. And she knew comedy for her wasn't just funny thoughts in her head. It was more. She was raised on comedy. I studied it by watching a lot of stand-up when I was a kid, and I loved Robin Williams and George Carlin and Stephen Wright. And you watched George Carlin on you, right? Oh, yeah. You know, he was amazing. And she knew she had a talent. So, a couple of years after her divorce, she felt she was ready to go on stage. <sighs> so, I never get greeted at Walmart. Does this happen to anyone else? Every time I go in, there's like those twin greeters and they're looking at each other like, I'm not going to greet her. You greet her. You're going to greet her. But uh, CVS, on the other hand, they have like excellent customer service. And by customer service, I mean surveillance. <laughs> you know, I just started coming here and I hung out until they put me up, basically. And then I guess I did well enough that now they put me up pretty much. If I come, sometimes like, yeah. 
I mean, I've heard the jokes like a million times, <laughs> but they're still funny, you know? <laughs> On this day, just before the first COVID lockdown, she brings her two now teenage daughters along. She says they're more her buddies. She keeps them close and they live at home with her. And she listens to them a lot. Yeah, I'd say sometimes it's just like, don't put that in there. But they're like, maybe don't use that one. Don't use that one tonight. I'm happily divorced. Yeah. My, my ex was... Um, it was very cheap, and uh, one time I was in the store. This is a true story. This actually happened. I was in the store. I was getting the pets, and he's like, do you really need those? And I'm looking at the package, and I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at the package, and I'm like, ah, it says right here, always. Oh, <laughs> my Uh, It might be a little cathartic, I suppose. You know, I try not to think about him too much, honestly, as seldom as possible if I can avoid it. Uh, They say that, you know, having a sense of humor is like a coping mechanism, but it doesn't feel like coping. It almost just feels like everyone has to look at life through some kind of lens, right? But if you can look at a lens that makes you laugh, that makes you a lot happier as a person, you know? Becoming Muslim is a project of the Spiritual Edge podcast at KALW Public Radio. Support for the series comes from the Templeton Religion Trust. Jeb Sharp is the editor. Tariq Foda is the sound engineer. Lindsay Myers-Humley is the digital content manager. Tom Levy is the photographer. Our executive editor is Judy Silber. Thanks also to Katie McCutcheon and Jod Khalil for help with research for the series. We're grateful to the experts who helped us along the way, including Edward Curtis, Juliette Galonier, Zarina Grewal, Sajida Jalalzai, Hind Mekki, Bashir Mohammed, Harold Morales, Spirit, and Kayla Wheeler. To hear more stories from this series, check out our complete archive at thespiritualedge.org. We're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. I'm Hanat Baba. That's all for this week. If you missed any part of the show, you can stream it online at interfaithradio.org, where you can find a link to an extended version with even more stories. While you are there, you can also learn about us, read the show notes, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. A special thanks to MC Yogi for our theme music. Additional music is by Blue Dot Sessions. This week's episode was produced by Kevin McCarthy. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your guest host, Kimberly Winston. We'll see you next week.